Within the scriptural canon of the Church of Jesus Christ, our time is often referred to as the last days or the final chapter before Christ returns. It's a chapter replete with signs in the heavens and in the earth of calamity and prosperity. With that in mind, perhaps there has never been a more crucial moment in history for God's children to discover, develop, and share our gifts with the world. I invite you to join us in our study today and encourage each of us to request divine understanding that the Spirit may teach us individually and specifically. Welcome to Come Follow Up. The first thing that I think of uh, when I think of the Second Coming um, is just the, the peace that I'll feel when I know that the Savior is here. When I think of the Second Coming, I initially think of fear, but then it's kind of followed by excitement because the Savior and Heavenly Father always have a plan for each of us, and I know they have a plan for the Second Coming, so we just need to be there to do whatever they need us to do. There's a lot of things in the world that we, we see going on that are predicted, kind of, and it makes us wonder, are we prepared? On a daily basis, I can prepare for the Second Coming by, I think, just the basic answers, reading my scriptures, praying. Um, I found specifically through scripture study that that helps me remember Jesus Christ in my day-to-day -day life, um, and that will bring me closer to Him in the end. Welcome, everybody. My name is Ben Lomu, and I'm your host. Our Gospel Scholar today is Carrie Muelstein. Carrie received two degrees from BYU in Psychology and Ancient Near Eastern Studies with a minor in Hebrew. He received his PhD from UCLA in Egyptology and Hebrew Language and Literature, and is currently a professor of ancient scripture at BYU. He and his wife have six children and one grandchild, and together they have lived in Jerusalem at various times while Carrie taught at the BYU Jerusalem Center. Carrie, thanks for being here today. Uh, thanks for having me. It's good to be here with you. And our special guest today is the very talented Casey Elliott. Casey has toured the world as a performer, including starring as Radames in the U.S. national and international tours of Aida. He has portrayed everyone from Jean Valjean to John Taylor in his other theatrical and film appearances, and is also a member of the tenor trio group Gentry. Casey resides in Layton, Utah, with his wife and four children. Casey, it's so good to have you here today. It's good to be here with both of you guys. Thank you. And we're also joined by our studio audience. Thank you all for being here today. And to the viewers at home, thank you for joining us. The conversations from today's episode will continue on Facebook and Instagram. Illustrations, quotes, scriptures, and clips for study and teaching are also available through YouTube and our website at byutv.org slash comefollowup. Today, we selected two topics to discuss that relate to passages found in Matthew chapters 24 through 25, including the Joseph Smith translation, Mark chapters 12 through 13, and Luke chapter 21. These topics and discussions support and build upon the Come Follow Me resource developed and published by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The two topics we're going to discuss are first, I must always be ready for the Savior's second coming, and second, I can use my gifts wisely by serving others. After exploring these two topics with our panel and studio audience, we'll let our studio audience go for the footnote segment of the show and dive deeper with Carrie and Casey. Okay, so let's move on to our first topic. I must always be ready for the Savior's second coming. Carrie, do you mind giving us a little background as far as the scriptures, the context, as we focus on this first topic? Uh, I'm happy to. 
This is a really significant time of the Savior's life. We're talking about the last week of his life, the last few days of his life, really. So we've had Palm Sunday or, or the triumphal entry, which ended at the temple. And the temple's going to become a, a major focus of the Savior here in the last week of his life. So this is the day he sees the widow putting her might in. This is all temple-oriented stuff. And towards the end of that, as he's talking to the Pharisees, about the things that they're not doing right at the temple and things that, that he would like people to do differently at the temple. He's realizing this is his last time at the temple, something that's been so important mm -hmm. to him and has been such a focus right now. He's about to leave and he's not coming back in this mortal life. And, and as he's leaving or getting ready to leave, he starts to talk about the fact that the temple is going to be destroyed and the terrible things that are going to happen there. And you almost can see that it pains him. So as they're on their way back home, his disciples have some questions about it. And that's where we're at as this story starts. Okay. Casey, what thoughts do you have just as we're jumping to this first topic as far as being ready for the second coming? Well, I, th I thought it was interesting, you know, that the first place he goes to sort of power up is the temple. You know, like, obviously, it's a big week. He's got a lot going on and yeah. going to happen. And and so it's it's kind of cool to think about that with ourselves in our day and age that, we have the temples to go sort of power up and get, get endowed with that power and that strength that we need to confront the, the things to come. Okay, so Carrie, uh, at, we're, as the topic indicates, we are talking about some of the events of the second coming. So what are some of the things that the Savior is trying to teach him? These are some things that are going to happen. Be ready. Um, so he talks about this first coming. Uh, he, he says that there are going to be false Christs, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And then in verse 7, they shall de deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. So these are all things that are going to happen in the, in the meridian of time, although one of the things that we know is that it's a pattern, and similar things are going to happen mm -hmm. in our day as well. And, and probably some of our audience have experienced some of these things, being persecuted uh, and hated for the Savior's sake. Um, there will be false prophets in verse 9, verse 10, and he specifically will say this again later, that it happens in our day as well. Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. This idea that iniquity causes us to have less ability to love. Mm. And you, you see the strife and the conflict uh, in the world today, and, and I have to think that there's a connection. Yeah. There. So there's, there's a lot of this going on. Verse 12 is where he talks about the abomination of desolation. And right after that is when we get these verses. Let him who is on the housetop flee and not return to take anything out of his house. Neither let him who is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and unto them that give suck in those days. Uh, and I, I don't think he's actually saying it's a bad thing to be pregnant or to be nursing. He's trying to, with all of this, he's creating imagery. And that's one of the things we have to realize is that the image he's trying to create is that you need to be ready all the time. He's trying to create the feeling of urgency for us. And that's the lesson that I think we need to learn is that the time to prepare is not tomorrow. Mm -hmm. You need to be ready now. So I wanna to go to the audience and just ask them, as we talk about some of the events that are going to take place in these verses, how do we exercise faith instead of fear? Annie. Well, as I study the scripture and learn about the events of the second coming and the sign, it is true, it is scary. And what people need, like me, is to find peace. I long for the time I could see the Savior. 
And the more I study scripture, the more I know about our Savior Jesus Christ. And I know that this is true. This is testified the truthfulness about Heavenly Father. And I really want that moment to come and I want to be there. You know, as Annie was talking, I, I, I can't help but think about in your situation, Casey, I'm sure you've been in, you know, plenty of uh, venues or arenas or performances where you get a little nervous and there is that fear. What have you learned about what it takes to overcome that fear and go into something and ready to perform with confidence? Yeah, that's a, I get that question a lot, actually. People are like, do you still get nervous? <laughs> I'm like, absolutely. Of course I get nervous, you know? I think for me, I found what helps the most with nerves is number one, most important thing, preparation. You know, if like if I'm in a, a musical or something, there have been weeks and weeks of preparation leading into that. You know, we're rehearsing, we're memorizing the lines, the lyrics, the blocking, it's all kind of this well-oiled machine. And of course it's live theater or live performances, so it can, anything can happen. Right. But the preparation that goes into that really helps you feel comfortable and it helps you feel confident. And so as we talk about preparation in the last days, I, I, I like maybe, you know, comparing that to preparation for performances because the more we can be prepared, the less fearful we're going to be. I talk a lot about like if you're mountain biking and you're focusing on the rock that's down the trail and that's all you're focusing right. on, you're going to hit the rock, you know, that's right. back to kind of what President Nelson has talked about with momentum and spiritual momentum with mountain biking, you got to roll over those rocks. Yeah. You see them there and they, they can be scary, but you just got to keep going and roll over them. You brought up President Nelson. He speaks about uh, preparation and what it can do for us in those times of fear. He says, how are we to deal with both the somber prophecies and the glorious pronouncements of our day? The Lord told us how with simple but stunning reassurance. If ye are prepared, ye shall not fear. And this leads into what I think is one of the most beautiful parables that the Savior taught, which is the parable of the 10 virgins. So Carrie, do you mind kind of breaking down some of these aspects of the parable to help us understand how it relates to preparing for the second coming? Yeah, I'm happy to. And the foolish virgins have come and they only have the oil that's already in their lamp and they don't have this extra storage vessel, okay. right? So they've all had it burning, but it burns out and it's it's only as they're waiting and it's usually a grand procession and, and uh, you're so excited to follow the bridegroom, but it takes so long that they've run out and the, the five wise ones anticipated that it may take longer. Mm and they had come prepared, right? So then we have to start to look at, and I think it's worth thinking about, they've all been invited to the right. wedding. So we often, and their parables are, are intended to be able to take a number of different meanings from them, but one of the meanings that we often draw from that is that this isn't just comparing the, the 10 virgins to the whole world. These are the people who have been invited. So these may be people who have made a covenant with mm -hmm. God, members of the church, wow. that's one way of interpreting it. And even among that group, some were kind of ready and others were really ready. Mm. It can be really difficult, I think, at times to really know um, how to prepare and if what we're doing is enough. And we had a, a question coming from one of our viewers. And as we watch that, I just want to get some of your thoughts on how we can help answer this question. Hello, I'm Juna from the Philippines, currently residing here in Hawaii. My question is, how do I align my earthly goals with my preparation for the Savior's second coming? 
So Casey, in response to this question, uh, you had a, a pretty significant experience that led to you kind of reevaluating your own personal preparation in life. Do you mind sharing that with us? Yeah, you bet. So a few years ago, I had a, a pretty significant dream and I woke up from it feeling like I had just received one of the most important messages of my life. And the message in this dream that was that I was gonna die in a few years. And, you know, as I thought about it for the next little while, it kind of faded a little bit. I kind of forgot about it to some extent. And then a year later, I was diagnosed with cancer, melanoma. And uh, it was one of those experiences that, that puts your whole life in perspective. And it caused me to look at everything I was doing in my life. And I thought, okay, if I really do have only a few years to live, what am I doing with my time? Hmm. And am I at the end of this period, am I gonna be happy with how I've spent the last few years knowing what I know? And as I thought about it more, especially in the context of the second coming, you know, a lot of us think about the second coming of when, it, when is it? When is it gonna happen? Is it gonna be soon? Is it gonna be later? And we try to architect our lives in a way to get to that point. Right. You know, it's like, well, what are the signs? It's like, oh, well, that still has to happen and that still has to happen. So I'm good. <laughs> but the reality is- I've not, got enough oil in my lamp. Yeah, yeah, there you go. But we don't know. None of us know. We could, we could go tomorrow mm -hmm. for all we know. And so, you know, live, live in a way that you're happy with, that you know that your Heavenly Father's going to be happy with. And as you think about what has our Heavenly Father given us in these last days to help us figure things out and how we should live our lives and what we should be doing with our lives, it's the Holy Ghost. And it reminds me of this quote from, from President Nelson that says, our Savior and Redeemer, Jesus Christ, will perform some of his mightiest works between now and when he comes again. We will see miraculous indications that God the Father and his son Jesus Christ preside over this church in majesty and glory. But in coming days, it will not be possible to survive spiritually without the guiding, directing, comforting, and constant influence of the Holy Ghost. That to me is so significant. It's actually become something we talk about all the time in our, in our home. Our, our kids are sick of hearing it, I'm sure. <laughs> but there's so much going on in our world in, in these days. It's so hard to know what's true and what's not. It's so easy to be deceived mm -hmm. these days. And, and I would add to that, my love for the temple comes in so often in these discussions, but go stand in holy places, receive that power and that, that investment of, of power and strength that is gonna allow us to not only survive in the last days, but thrive. You know, I love what you said, Casey, regardless of, of when the Savior actually returns, there are a lot of things that we can do to prepare ourselves now to become better. And the role the Holy Ghost plays and leading us and guiding us on what those preparations need to be. Uh, thank you both for your comments and for the audience. Thanks for your comments. And our first topic uh, that we've been discussing today about preparing for the second coming. And for you at home, what practical daily efforts are you making to prepare for Christ's return? Share with us on Facebook and Instagram. In my life, I think one of the biggest gifts I've been given is being able to connect with people. I find that I make friends really, really easily. I think for me, a talent that I have is just being people's friend. I feel like I love to get to know people and just talk to them and make them feel comfortable. Growing up, I always felt like um, sharing my gifts was something that um, was more of a prideful thing. Like I thought I was boasting of myself um, and not thinking of others. And so. I never really took the chance to, to share my gifts with others or to really try to um, express myself in a way 
My love for singing and performing is amplified tenfold when I'm out sharing it with others. And I think about that in, in the context of any gift or talent. The more we can be out sharing it, it tends to multiply and it tends to bless our lives and the lives of others even more. As I've studied the scriptures and um, studied more about the stories of, you know, the parable of the talents and everything, I've tried to be more expressive of myself and to be able to share what Heavenly Father has given me. You know, I'm not, I've learned that my gifts and talents are not something of myself, it's something that Heavenly Father has given to me um, that I should be sharing with all of His children. The second topic we're going to discuss is I can use my gifts wisely by serving others. And we get to this part in the in these scriptures, these chapters, we have a lot of parables. We know the Savior loved to teach in parables. And there's one specifically that kind of focuses on our gifts. Carrie, do you mind kind of walking us through some of these chapters and how they have to do with using our gifts to serve wisely. I'm happy to do it. And and let's keep in mind, this is part of his answer about how to be prepared for the problems in the the meridian of time with the destruction of the temple or in the second coming in our day. So this is part of his answer. The first parable is the parable of the virgins and the wise and the foolish virgins. Now we get this one that we get in, in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14 is where he starts it. And he talks about a Lord who goes unto a far country. And in verse 15, and unto one, he gave five talents. Now we're going to stop there um, because in English, this creates a wordplay that really doesn't happen in other languages, right? So the English translation talent comes from the Greek word talenton. And it means like something that you've weighed out. And, okay. and that you measure and, and weigh out. So it is something of worth, but it's, it's like gold coins or uh, precious metals or anything that you determine it's worth by, by weighing it. Okay. All right? So what it's saying is that he's giving them something of worth. Now, because it's the word talent, we typically tend to think, oh, yeah, someone who can dance or something like that, right? But it really is anything that he's given you. And, and so maybe gift or... Uh, opportunity or any of those things would would match for what this is talking about. So with that in mind, let's go back and, and see. And unto one he gave five, we'll say, gifts to another two and to another one to every man according to his several ability. And straightway he took his journey. So he's giving each one what he feels like they can do something with. All right, now we, we, we keep going. Uh, verse 16, then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. So, of course, when the Lord comes back, he wants to know, what have you done with what I gave you? That's a question we're all going to be asked, I mm-hmm. think. What I've given you this and that. What have you done with it? Um, and we're, we're going to see that the one who had five had 10, and the one who had two had four. And we get this answer. Let's look in verse 23. And his Lord said unto him, well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. So notice, it didn't matter how much they'd been given. It was what they'd done with what they had been given. Then they all had the opportunity to have everything. Right. So that, that, we just need to kind of quit comparing how much one person has mm-hmm. according to another or something along those lines. But when he gets to that last servant, then he which had received the one talent, we're in verse 24, 
came and said, Lord, I knew thee, that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed, and I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that as thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. So he's saying, if you weren't going to be able to use it to do something with, at least get me interest out of the thing, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I think in many ways the question for us is what are we doing with what he's given us? And, and I'd like to emphasize less visible talents like the ability to, to tell when someone's in need, mm -hmm. the ability to reach out in empathy. Uh, those are less visible talents, but every bit is important, right? And so the question is, what did you do with what God gave you and how did you use it? Yeah, Carrie, I couldn't agree with you more. I get people coming up to me all the time saying, oh, I'm not talented like you. Mm. Because what I do is is so visible and it's 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 public or whatever, and I honestly I look at people that that uh, I look up to in my life, mentors and and my wife, and the gifts and talents that they have, and I'm at I'm in awe. Gifts are abounding, and everybody has mm -hmm. a gift. There's a quote that I love from Amasa Potter, where she's talking about what she heard the prophet Joseph Smith say uh, one time about gifts. She said, I remember the prophet arising to preach to a large congregation in the grove west of the temple in Nauvoo. He stated that he would preach on spiritual gifts. Joseph stated that every Latter-day Saint had a gift and by living a righteous life and asking for it, the Holy Ghost would reveal it to him or her. So, you know, as, as you might sit there and think, okay, like, I believe that, I believe that, there are lots of gifts out there, but I don't know what mine is. That quote is a great invitation to, to ask, to seek, you know, to rely on the gift of the Holy Ghost to, um, to find what those gifts are. And I think you might be surprised at what those gifts are. And if it's all right, maybe I think there's a stronger tie between these two than we often think of. Section 45 of the Doctrine and Covenants is about the signs of the times. And it's, it's related actually quite strongly to, to Joseph Smith, Matthew, or Matthew 24. Uh, and that's received March 7th, 1831. March 8th, 1831, the next day, he receives the revelation that is section 46, which is about the gifts of the Spirit. Hmm. And in there, for verily I say unto you, they, meaning these, these gifts, are given for the benefit of those who love me and keep all my commandments, and him that seeketh so to do. I love that phrase. It's for everyone who keeps all the commandments, which is no one, and <laughs> him who seeketh so to do, yeah. that all may be benefited that seek or that ask of me, that ask and not for a sign that they may consume it upon their lusts. Right? So there, there are a couple of keys here. Everyone has gifts and God wants to give everyone gifts. All we have to do is ask for it, but we have to do it with the right intent and then do the right thing with it, which is not to do it to aggrandize ourselves, but to build up the kingdom and bless God's children. So I wanna hear from the audience. Uh, let's hear about some of your talents. What talents have you been blessed with and how does the Holy Ghost guide you in knowing who to help or serve with those talents? Matt. One talent that I've noticed as time has gone on is the ability to organize and um, create and develop. And I've been able to use that talent actually to help with missionary training, uh, specifically service missionaries. And that's been something that, you know, 
it's been gradual and bit by bit. One thing that's been really inspiring to me in working with all the missionaries, especially service missionaries, a lot of them have that feeling of, I don't have a talent, I don't have a gift, and they're trying to figure out what, what their talents are. To see the Lord work with each of them in service, it, it's pretty incredible. And it really is when you're out doing good and giving to others is when the Lord starts to show those talents because he wants you to use them in ways that bless others' lives. You know, and Casey, I'm sure you can relate. Do you mind kind of sharing with us a little bit about some of the experiences that you've had? How have you seen the, the gifts and talents that you possess have been used as a tool for Heavenly Father to bless his children? Yeah, I kind of got my start and and discovery of my gifts and talents through spiritual music at church. And my parents are musicians. And so I grew up in a household with music and their example of how they were utilizing their gifts and talents. They would do firesides and sing in church. And I just looked up to them and they kind of brought me into that, you know, doing those things. And so I felt the spirit and I think that that laid the foundation mm -hmm. for so much of what I've done in my life and helped me see the power that can, um, can be had by utilizing your gifts in a good way. It's been interesting as I've gone out and performed in, in a variety of different things. Whatever I'm performing, I have this, this sense, you know, that what I'm doing can either uplift or tear down. And so whatever your gift is, you have an opportunity to go pick your battlefield. Because whatever battlefield it is, there's there's a battle of good and evil happening on that that field. And for me personally, like I'm I'm just so grateful that. I've been blessed with, um, you know, the talents and gifts that I have to to use in a in a good way to bring people closer to to Christ and in some way. Immediately after Christ shares this parable of the talents, we get instructions on on how to to serve others. Can we look at some of the examples uh, on what the Savior is teaching us on how we can lift and serve others? Yeah, and this is in some ways that uh, the culminating parable. So again, Matthew 25 is the answer to the questions at the end of Matthew 24 about how do we be prepared. So you get this trail of parables and the culminating one is called uh, often the parable of the sheep and goats. When the son of man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from his goats. And then he's gonna have the sheep on the right hand side and the goats on the left hand side. And, and the sheep are going to be rewarded. And, and this is what he says, why they're rewarded. Um, verse 34, then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was in hungered and you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. Let's go to verse 40, it's so profound. And the king shall answer and say unto them, verily, I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. It seems to me that he's, he's saying the way you have oil in your lamps, and this is why you can't share the oil, uh, the way you use your talents is a question of, are you helping my children? You know, Carrie, I love how you, you kind of brought both of these topics together, you know, talking about the oil and relating it to the lamps. So we had a President Faust actually spoke about this as well. And he said, it is important that you have oil in your lamps so that when you say to the Lord, here am I, send me, you are prepared and qualified to be sent. 
We are all heaven sent, but what we are able to accomplish in the Lord's work depends to a large extent on our willingness and ability. Using those gifts, using those talents that we've been given and ready to use them to further advance the work of the Lord. This has been great. I feel like we've barely scratched the surface as far as these chapters go. Fortunately, we have more time and footnotes to talk about this. Thank you both for what you've contributed so far to this discussion. For the audience, you've been wonderful. Thanks for, for sharing with us about your talents and how they help you serve the Lord. And for those at home, we still have so much to cover from these passages regarding the second coming and spiritual gifts with Carrie and Casey in footnotes. Stay tuned. The Spirit communicates to me mostly through recurring thoughts. Um, if I all of a sudden really want to do something, it oftentimes the Spirit pushing me there. Or if I keep thinking about an option, it brings me there as well. It comes in a feeling, a feeling that's something that I um, feel is more than joy, something that I, I know in my heart to be true. Oftentimes for me, it's while I'm driving my car. I, I think it's just the focus from driving. I, it gives me a lot of mental clarity. Uh, one guy told me that it, he has it um, in his recliner. He calls it his revelatory recliner. And he says that he can relax, he feels peaceful, and that's when the revelation comes. One time I would just be sitting at home, just be sitting mom, and the Spirit told me, drop everything, go to the temple. So I drop everything, go to the temple, even though I am supposed to pack for a trip to China the next day. And I realized that when I was in the temple, I found that one of my students was called to serve a mission in Hong Kong in Chinese mission. He really wanted to see me before he went to Hong Kong. So he prayed and I was there. And the Spirit helped me to answer his prayer. I've noticed that it comes to me through thoughts and that um, I tend to question those often, like we all do. But I have learned through experience that to, to not question it and just to follow through with whatever that prompting is, no matter how small it is. Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes. We've dismissed our studio audience and are looking forward to building upon our previous discussions about passages in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and the Joseph Smith translation with Carrie and Casey. All right, gentlemen, we've had a lot of fun so far. This has been great, and I'm really excited because we have a lot more to get to. So, uh, Carrie, do, do we want to jump back into Joseph Smith, Matthew for a little bit and talk a little bit more on that? Yeah, let's, it's such a significant gift to have the Joseph Smith translation of this. And, and it's worth knowing just a teeny bit of the history of how we get it. Because okay. Joseph Smith is asked to go through and translate the Bible by, by the Lord, right? In fact, just months after he has published the Book of Mormon, March of 1830, June of 1830, he has the vision that, or, or at least sees in some way, what becomes Moses chapter one. And that's the beginning of the Joseph Smith translation process. Mm. But they get a, a part way through that. They're still only in Genesis when the, he receives section 45. So this is that March 7th, 1831 uh, revelation that we talked about earlier. And in section 45, verse 60, the Lord says to them, and now behold, I say unto you, it shall not be given unto you to know any further concerning this chapter until the New Testament be translated and in it all these things shall be made known. Wherefore I give unto you that you may now translate it, that you may be prepared for the things to come. So they stop translating the Old Testament, there towards the end of Genesis they stop, and they start translating the New Testament. And the revelation that, that is being referred to in section 45 
is Matthew 24 or Joseph Smith Matthew. So it, they it, really, the Lord has them completely put on pause what they've been doing and do a new thing specifically to get the revelation we've been talking about today, which makes me feel like it's, it's pretty significant, yeah. right? Pretty important stuff that he wants us to know the signs of the times, enough that he gives it to us in two different ways, right? Section 45 and Joseph Smith Matthew or Matthew 24, the order is a little bit different. One of the significant things in Joseph Smith Matthew is that it's divided, you've got this introductory material, and then it's very clear that the first so many verses are about the Savior's day, and then verse 21 is a transition verse, and everything after that is the last days, which you can't tell from Matthew 24, it's just all garbled together. So you're saying the order of the events is different depending on the account. Yeah. So and even the book of Revelation has some of the same mm-hmm. signs right. in a different sequence. And maybe we, we might read sometimes, read, read through the events and think, oh, that's going to happen and then that's going to happen in sort of a sequential order, but it's, that's not the case. Yeah. And this isn't the first time in, in Scripture we, we see this. Whenever there's an account that is, um, you know, like, for example, if you look at the, the Ten Commandments, they're not always put in the exact same order. Or if you look at... Even, you know, when Joseph Smith talking about uh, his experience with the first vision, you know, you look at the different accounts and there's different details that are left out. As far as this goes, I don't know, maybe it's just another way of looking at it and broadening our perspective and learning in different ways. You know, what do I learn from this account versus this account, providing us just more material to study and and prepare for? That's that's great. So I have a question with um, the, the timing. Like we say a lot, um, we don't know when the second coming is, and it doesn't really matter. But at the same time, we're given all these cues of like when things are going to happen. Uh, you're right. I mean, he's really explicit a couple of times, like verse 48 of we're in Joseph Smith Matthew. Therefore, be also ready for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. So he's telling us you don't know when it is. And other times he says, no one knows except for the Father, right? It's really clear no one knows, and yet he's given us all this stuff to try and figure it mm-hmm. out. Yeah. Uh, and at least to me, uh, and it's the same thing with that, that uh, kind of, or the sequence, right? I think he's telling us both what's not important and what is important, right? Mm-hmm. It's not important to know this happens before this, before this, before this, and it's not important to know the exact hour. What's important is to know, be ready all the time, yeah. like you were talking. When you think about the, the parable of the 10 versions that we talked about, it, it was, la- the bridegroom came later than they thought. And yeah. I've wondered like, is that gonna be how it is for us in the second coming? Like, it seems like it should be sooner, but it actually comes later than we think. Well, and it's, if you think about that parable, because you actually have them both coming later and earlier than they, because they oh. think he's gonna come at this point, so they're sitting there waiting yeah, and they have enough. this much oil in their lamp, and then they run out and they're like, well, you've got time, run to the market, right? Yeah, yeah. It's taken so long, you might as well run to the market, and then while they're gone, he comes, right? Mm-hmm. And I suspect it's gonna be the same thing. Like, it comes in an hour when you know not, but it also says in there, that men will think that he delays his coming. Mm-hmm. And I suspect we'll get to where we're like, man, it's never gonna happen. And so we, we back off and that's right when it's gonna happen. Yeah. And I think he's trying to tell us, you can't be that way. You have to be living your life all the time in a way that you're ready. Yeah, I would love to hear some of your thoughts on, as we look at this parable, what do we get from uh, the, the drops of oil as far as what they can represent to us in our lives today? I think if it's all right with you, I think one way to approach this is let's go backwards in the parables, okay. actually. So remember, we, we talked about before that the culminating parable, this is the one where it seems like the Savior is saying, 
this is the end of my teachings of how to be prepared for the, the signs that I've given you in the second coming is have you taken care of other people? Right, so, so let's just kind of keep that in mind. If, if the end of it is, have you taken care of other people? Now let's look at the parable before that. And it seems to be teaching, what have you done with what I've given you? Mm-hmm. So now we go back to the parable of the ten virgins, and it seems like the oil represents how well you've taken care of other people, given the abilities I've given you, whether that's maybe some people it was financial acumen, and so they made a lot of money, and they could use that money to help other people. And someone else, it is the ability to empathize with someone. Well, did you go and do something with that, right? But in the end, and I I think uh, this is an important principle that maybe we can explore how we see it even in Joseph Smith Matthew and the signs of the times. All of those things, and especially if we're starting with that, what you did for other people, it, it comes down to a matter of what have you become by mm-hmm. what you've done, right? What is your state? What kind of a person have you become? Uh, Elder, well, President Oaks now, but when he was Elder Oaks, gave a great talk about the gospel of becoming and that we're not judged just by the deeds we've done, but by the effects of those deeds, what we've become. And that's part of why I think we can't share oil because what you've become mm-hmm. by being consecrated and dedicated and helping people can't change what I've become, right? So I, I don't know if you have thoughts on yeah. that or if you see that in, in uh, the signs of the times or anything along those lines. But. Yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, that part of the parable where the, the wise virgins can't share their oil. I've always thought that, like, rude. That's kind of selfish. Like, yeah. yeah, like, just just share some of your oil. But to your point, if if it's an essence of who they've become, that that's so mm-hmm. personal to all of us. And I have... Of three teenagers this year, and you know, as they get older, I I I think a lot about how can I help them become their own person, you know, develop their own testimony of the gospel, their own passion for the gospel, because that more and more I'm finding like if they're borrowing my light, that's not going to be enough. Yeah, and like you were saying, this is something that is deeply personal. And as you were talking about, Carrie, as we progress through some of these parables, it's like fix yourself first. Make sure that you yourself are, are where you, you need to be. And then now that you are in this good place, now I can use you. I'm going to teach you how to lift and serve others because you yourself are, are ready and prepared through those, those drops of oil. So maybe we shift from staying on that covenant path to thriving on that covenant path. Yeah. You know, if and this is the progression that I see through this parable about the sheep and the goats we talked about earlier. For I was in hunger and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger and ye took me in. This progression of, okay, what are you doing for other people with what I've blessed you with and what you've been given? We're becoming. We're on this path, do becoming, multiplying our talents to better serve and lift all those around us. And I think there are two wonderful points that we can maybe bring together here. As you were talking about, like, your, have your children, do they have a light of their own and mm-hmm. so on? It made me think, actually, of that, that talk I was referencing from, from Elder Oaks. The first part of it is a parable he created where he says there's a, a father that has acquired a lot and become a person of importance and ability, and he wants to pass it on to his son. And he says to his son, well, I can give you my stuff. But if you're going to become what I want to become, mm-hmm. here's how you have to behave, mm-hmm. right? But, but let's think of the parable of the talents and the multiplying. 
well, how do we multiply? I, I, I can't multiply my talents. Who multiplies it, right? Mm-hmm. And it's Christ. And I think that if we're going to talk about becoming, we can't leave that out of it. Mm-hmm. That we can become something by what we do, but we can't ever become enough. And we can help people a little bit by what we already are, but we can't ever help enough. But if we are consecrated to God and Christ, then Christ helps us become much more mm-hmm. than we are, than we're ever capable of being. And he helps us do much more than we're capable of doing. And so we can't leave Christ out of this really important equation. It is our efforts are necessary. They're not nearly enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think about grace and the principle of, of grace and how it's, it's something that it, it's not, it doesn't kick in you know, after some point. It's like we should be relying on that from day one, from breath one. Yes. You know, like that's the thing, that's the multiplier that's going to yes. help, you know, make us uh, multiply those talents. Yeah, and become what we need to become. And become, yeah. One of the parables that I, I wanted to go to was the parable of the, the wicked husbandman. Mm. And uh, I'm going to, full disclosure, I had to look up what a husbandman was. And it's, <laughs> it turns out it's a farmer. Yeah. And so uh, we have this parable of the farm, and I, I wanted to talk about as it, it relates to this discussion. Carrie, do you mind kind of uh, explaining it a little bit? And then uh, I kind of want to break it down and see what sort of aspects we can take and apply to this conversation. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. So we, we get in chapter 12, uh, and let's just read the first part, and we might summarize some. And he began to speak unto them by parables. A certain man planted a vineyard and set an hedge about it and digged a place for the wine fat and built a tower. So the wine fat, this is where they're going to press the, the grapes into wine, right? Built a tower and let it out to husbandmen. So he owns the place, but he's going to rent it to some others. And he went into a far country. So he's gone. And at the season, he sent to the husbandman a servant that might receive from the husbandman the fruit of the vineyard. In other words, rents due. They owe him part of what they reap from this because he owns the land. And so he sends it to them and they caught him, the servant that was sent, and beat him and sent him away empty. And again, he sent it to them another servant and, and he does this for a while. So finally, he decides to send his son. And you can see the clear parallels with the father and the absolutely. son here. I mean, absolutely clear parallels. And this is part of where he's really chastising the Pharisees for not accepting him for who he is. Mm. Right? So, having therefore one son, his well-beloved, he sent him also, and again, his one son, well-beloved. If if you're missing that this is about Christ, that should have clued you in. (laughs) He sent him also last unto them, saying, they will reverence my son. But those husbandmen said among themselves, this is the heir, come, let us kill him, and the inheritance shall be ours. And they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. What shall therefore the Lord of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the husbandman and will give the vineyard unto others. So in some ways, this is about what's happening there, that, that the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and those who have been given charge to take care of and nurture Israel are not doing it. And so God sends his son to help them get to where they should be and they're going to kill the son. So that's one clear mm-hmm. lesson to take from this parable, but I'm sure that it can apply in other ways. Well, and the reason why I love this so much, especially in context of some of the topics we've been talking about today, is some of the things that we've been given and blessed with, there is that charge. Like, I need you to go and use this gift, Casey, that I've been given you to bless and bring and gather Israel together. So has there ever been a moment where you kind of had a question, okay, am I on the right path? Mm-hmm. And if so, like, how do you process and work through that? 
Yeah, I mean, just going back to the dream that I I mentioned a little bit of um, at that time of my life, I the the kind of the major crossroads I was at was kind of a career crossroads, mm-hmm. and I was like, am I spending too much time on singing, acting, you know, the the artistic side of of who I am? Do I need to like be more practical? with, you know, life and, you know, set that aside. Have I grown out of that? You know, <laughs> some of those things. And, and I think in some ways, the, the reason I was given that dream is, is kind of a, hey, at the end of the day, you know, what legacy are you gonna be proud of? If you have to leave this earth sooner than you thought, where, where are you at, where are you going? And are you doing the most important things? Yeah. I had an experience, I mean, not, not quite that dramatic, but the opportunity to be a visiting fellow at Oxford. It just kind of fell into my lap, and, uh, and I wondered whether I should accept it or not, and I really felt like, well, you should, both because it's a cool opportunity and it would be great for me and, and so on, but also because it would help with that credibility that, mm-hmm. that gives weight to my arguments. Uh, and so I, I took the opportunity because of that, and then after a little while, I found myself thinking, well, I am pretty cool. I'm a visiting fellow at Oxford. That makes me pretty cool, right? And, <laughs> and, and I had to stop myself, and I felt, maybe a little bit like the wicked husbandman. Mm-hmm. God had given me an opportunity so that I could give him the harvest that was helping other people. And instead I was focusing on myself, right? I wanted the harvest for myself. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that would make me become the wrong kind of person to go back to our other conversation. It would, and, and I think that's just a question we're always gonna have to ask ourselves. You were given something to kind of help you really give a healthy uh, look at that, but we all need to ask ourselves regularly, why am I doing what I'm doing? And if it is in any way, to quote section 76 again, to consume it upon our own lusts, mm. Okay. Then we're wicked husbandmen. I have a question. So where do, where's that intersection between your your personal desires of like, this is what I want, these are the gifts that I want and I want to develop versus what are the gifts that the Holy Ghost is directing me toward? And what do you do if those two are different? You know? I would say if your desire in either of those is because you love God and you want to build up the kingdom, then, mm-hmm. then this is going to work out. Mm-hmm. And if your desire for either of those is something else, then it's not going to work out. It's the desire. It's the the righteous desire. Yeah, the intent, I I think. And and sometimes I think that I look at where the Lord is trying to get us. He's trying to get us from point A to point B. And there are choices that we make that could take us in a zigzag. He knows as long as we're headed to point B, then, all right, I trust you. I've given you your agency use it well. I think at the point where we have to be careful is when instead of zigzagging towards point B, we start heading the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. And so there is that fine line of at, at where, where you're going, mm-hmm. um, is it gonna lead you down a path that is still gonna get you to where I need you to be while allowing you to exercise your own agency? And I think that sometimes we just have to rely on that covenant relationship, you know, uh, in, in keeping keeping those uh, communications so strong that it becomes clear when you're a little off. And that's one thing with this, going back to this parable, fighting against those that are sent to, to get us back on track. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we've, we've been given a charge. There are people that are sent in our lives. You have these servants that are coming in along the way and holding us accountable. How do we treat that? How do we treat the words of the prophets, modern or ancient? 
And, and what are we doing when, when they come into our lives? Are we pushing them aside or are we accepting them and making the necessary changes and being accountable for the charges that we've been given? I think that's a really, really important point uh, if we're gonna try and apply this parable to our lives because one, obviously I think there are more, but one obvious interpretation of these servants he sends are the prophets. And I would say if we're finding ourselves feeling at odds with the prophet in some way, mm -hmm. we better start asking ourselves right now, am I a wicked husbandman? Uh, because that's, that's something you should be very careful about is how you treat the Lord's servants. And it seems to me that the Savior's pretty serious about that in this mm -hmm. parable. Okay, there's one scripture that I absolutely love that I think kind of ties all of this together. And uh, if you'll go with me to Luke chapter 21, I love how he says, and there shall be signs in the sun and the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. So describing some of these, these signs of the last times, verse 26, men's hearts failing them for fear. Whether we're talking about the signs of preparing for the second coming, our hearts failing because we're so scared. What are your thoughts on becoming, on using those gifts that we have, not shying away from really becoming who the Lord knows we can be. I, I think that the adversary attacks our identity first, you know, a lot of times, because if he can separate us from that connection we have, that father-daughter, father-son connection we have with God, it's, that's the foundation. Uh, that doesn't mean it's gonna be easy, but you kind of know whose side you're on, you're on the winning side. You know, it's funny as we, just as you're saying that, you think about uh, Moses, his encounter. What's the first thing that the adversary tries to do to him? Yeah, he tries to take away your identity. Yeah. You're not a son of God, you're a son of man. Yeah, yeah. And I, I would fully agree. I might add just one, one part to that, that uh, Satan is being wildly successful in confusing people about their identity. And I think uh, if we can keep in mind that we're a child of God, and I would add that loves him and is keeping covenant with him. Mm. And if you'll have those two things, right? I am his child, he loves me, I love him, and I, I'm in a relationship with him, I've got a covenant with him, then you, you don't have to be afraid if the plane is falling or if the moon's turning to blood. Uh, you know you've got a connection with God that's gonna keep you where you need to be. Uh, one other thought, you know, I was talking to my wife about this, she just got home from, from girls camp. And girl, girls camp is amazing because you put all these girls in this, this spiritual environment and then the last day they have this testimony meeting, you know, and, and we started talking about just the strength of the youth that she, she yeah. saw up there. And I think the, the worse things get, the more evil the world gets, there's going to be the opposite on, on mm -hmm. the good side. Yeah. You know, these, these kids and, and even adults, like we're, they're going to rise to the occasion and the chasm becomes wider, but the, the two extremes become yeah. more extreme, yeah. you know? And I think the more that we can help our youth, especially understand who they are, the, I mean, the stronger they're gonna be. And, you know, they're, they're gonna have that strength and that connection with their father and him. And I, I think you're right. Uh, and I saw the same thing, actually, I was at Young Women's Camp a couple weeks ago, mm -hmm. and, uh, and I'm working with the youth all the time right now. And, wow, the strength I see there. And sometimes they're hit with hard stuff and it knocks them down. And yet they're figuring out a way to stay connected to God and keep that covenant of that identity. The ones who do keep that, 
wow, so strong mm -hmm. and so powerful. They will help us survive the last days. But I believe there's incredible strength that we're seeing. Yeah, absolutely. Casey, before we close, I just wanna, you know, kind of focus in on your path and your journey. What keeps you thriving? Yeah, I mean, we, we talked about the temple um, in the previous segment. That, that uh, the, the temple for me is, is an anchor. I find when I'm going to the temple regularly, I feel power, like literal power in my, in my life. Like things just go more smoothly. Whatever you do, do it with passion, you know? <laughs> Uh, and I, I certainly look at the gospel that way. You know, I, I live the gospel with passion and... Um, be all in, you're saying. Yeah, yeah. just be all in. Uh, and I think to your point, you know, as, as these kids dis make those decisions, as we all make those decisions, to make those covenants with God, to keep those covenants with God, there's like an exponential thing that happens. Like it's a, it's a one plus one equals three scenario, right? <laughs> we give a little bit and he gives so much more yeah. and we become more and more strengthened by it. So I would just say, yeah, I just live the gospel with passion. And, and also I am married to the best woman in the world, you know, like she- You too? <laughs> but you know, who you surround yourself with. I mean, I, I have to give credit where credit's due. I, when I met my wife, I knew she would make me a better person. And so find people in your life that elevate you you know, surround yourself with people that make you better. If you're always the one bringing people up, that's, that can get tough. So surround yourself with people. Well, you're amazing. It's clear that you are lifting and elevating everywhere you go. It, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, man. Carrie, I'm sure that, I mean, you can recognize how much we appreciate what right. you do for us as well. And, and just to see that you guys are using your talents and gifts to, to build and lift, lift lives. It's really wonderful to watch and it's impressive. And I can't thank you enough for joining us and being here uh, with us today. Thanks, Ben. And thank you for joining us at home for this discussion from Matthew chapters 24 and 25, the Joseph Smith translation, Mark chapters 12 and 13, and Luke 21. I encourage you to record and act upon any impressions that you've received. As always, you can find much more from this episode and others at byutv.org slash comefollowup. Next week, we explore the question, Lord, is it I? From Matthew 26, Mark 14, and John 13. Thanks for watching. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.